Objections Overruled 1 and 2 audiobooks are produced by Lutheran Public Radio and are made possible with support from listeners like you. You can contribute to the production of future audiobooks at issuesetc.org support. Look for Objections Overruled 3 in December of 2023. Science Has Disproven God's Existence John Warwick Montgomery Science is not a belief system but a method for investigating the world by gathering and studying data. The scientific disciplines of physics, biology, and neurophysics cannot explain the aspects of the world they study. The worst human atrocities have been carried out by atheistic governments. Only God can give purpose to human life, and only Christ fully reveals God. Is it so, as one hears from time to time, that no intelligent person can believe in God because of modern science? One thinks of the mathematical physicist Laplace, who was asked why he never mentioned God in his treatment of the solar system. He replied, I had no need of that hypothesis. Let's see if leaving God aside makes scientific sense. The Nature of Science First, we need to know what science is and what it isn't. A problem at the root of the idea that God and science are enemies is a misunderstanding of the nature of scientific activity. Science is not a doctrine or a system of belief, like Mormonism or the Masonic Order, but a method for investigating the world. The true scientist does not begin with an already established belief as to what the world is like. He or she starts out with a question and an open mind. Is there an animal with five legs? Why do swallows return to Capistrano every spring around the same time? Is there no God? To answer such questions, the scientist gathers information, data, and suggests an explanation, hypothesis. He then tests that idea by collecting and refining more data. As a result, the hypothesis is either discarded or improved to fit the facts better. A solution that seems superior to the original hypothesis is usually called a theory, which, like the initial hypothesis, is tested by way of still more comparison with the factual data. If the final result seems to work all the time and under all testing conditions, it can be regarded as a scientific law. This scientific or empirical method is very different from the understanding of science by many non-scientists, and even some ill-informed scientists themselves, as well as poorly educated science teachers at the high school or junior college level. They see science as some kind of universal philosophy or religion, the religion of science or scientism. For these folks, science begins with an already formed view of the universe. There is nothing but matter, nothing spiritual. The laws of nature do not permit unique events such as miracles. Evolution is an established fact, not just a hypothesis or a theory, etc. Of course, this kind of thinking is the very opposite of real science. It is not based on open-minded investigation of the world, but on a dogmatic approach that decides what the world is like before gathering data and discovering what the world is really like. So, can a true scientist ever declare that there is no God? Of course not. He or she would have to look under every rock in the universe to make sure God wasn't there. 
But is there scientific evidence on the positive side that there is a God? Yes, and that evidence is overwhelming. The universe cannot explain itself. Everyone would surely admit that the universe consists of all the stuff in it. If you don't think so, you've got a real problem. But nothing in anyone's experience is self-explanatory. The book you are now listening to can only be explained by going outside it, to a publisher, a printer, an author, and so on. The attractive boy or girl sitting across the room is not self-explanatory. You must at least appeal to his or her parents to explain what you are gazing at. Now, if this is so, then the universe itself cannot account for itself. To explain it, we must go outside or beyond it. And that is what we mean, on the most primitive level, by God. Moreover, any such God will need to be personal and intelligent. Otherwise, there is no explanation for the complexity and rational design of the universe in which we find ourselves. This line of reasoning is illustrated at the most fundamental scientific levels. Here are some examples. Physics. No scientific laws are more basic than the laws of thermodynamics. Sir Arthur Eddington put it bluntly, If your theory of the universe is found to be against the second law of thermodynamics, I can give you no hope. There is nothing for it but to collapse in deepest humiliation. That so-called second law states that within any closed system, the functionality or workability of energy declines until it reaches zero, the zero point is called heat death. The energy doesn't disappear, the first law of thermodynamics, but it becomes useless, like a dead battery. The process of energy decline is called entropy. So if anyone wants to sell you a bushel of entropy, definitely do not buy it. This process never takes forever. Heat death arrives in a finite period of time. Here's an admittedly poor analogy. You intend to cross the desert in your jalopy. Even with a full tank, the gas gauge goes down steadily as you travel. Gas station after gas station has the sign, Last Gas Station in the Desert. You, however, think that all these stations are conning you, so you don't stop and fill up. Eventually, in a finite length of time, your car experiences entropic gas death. Now, for the atheist, the universe is a closed system, no God, and has been around forever. But if this were so, then it would already have run down since all finite periods of time are swallowed up by infinity. Clearly, the atheist is wrong since we still have enough energy to discuss this issue. Either the universe was created a finite time ago and hasn't yet reached heat death, or energy is being fed in from outside the universe to keep it alive, creatio continua, or both. The energy of the universe is not self-explanatory. We need a God outside of and beyond the universe to account for its energy. This entails, at minimum, a cosmic gas station attendant who has not only filled the tank at the beginning of things, but who continually maintains its essential energy level to keep the universe from self-destructing. Compare Colossians chapter 1, verse 17.
Listeners may be interested to learn that in my successful debate on the existence of God at University College Dublin, I asked my atheist theoretical physicist opponent how he deals with the evidence for God's existence provided by the second law of thermodynamics. He replied, I am awaiting its repeal. I trust that he will not hold his breath while waiting. The reversal of the second law is even less likely than the repeal of the law of gravity. By the way, just for fun, listen to the musical rendition of the second law of thermodynamics by the British comedy duo of Flanders and Swan on their recording, The Best of Comedy and Music. To the force of the second law add the fine-tuning of our world. The slightest change in basic constants would have made life impossible, says cosmologist Martin J. Rees. And consider the general agreement of cosmologists that the universe is finite, which, logically, requires the assumption of something or someone above and beyond it. Isaac Asimov has estimated the radius of the finite universe at 12 billion light-years. I think he is off by 10 light-years, but any finite universe will need a non-finite explanation. As for multiverse speculations as a substitute for God, even if there were a multiplicity of universes, for which there is not a shred of evidence, God would still be needed to account for whatever universes are potentially or actually lying around somewhere. Biology. Does evolution get rid of God? Does natural selection provide a sufficient explanation of the species so as to make God unnecessary? Classical evolutionary theory has come under more and more criticism in recent years. Among its many problems is the fact that mere passage of time never creates something. Put a birdhouse in your yard for a millennium. It won't produce a bird. And evolutionists' appeal to mutations, sudden, inexplicable biological changes, must be regarded logically as little more than word magic, since it provides no rational explanation whatsoever. Compare the similar use of word magic by employing the word instinct. Why do the storks return to the Alsace from North Africa at roughly the same time each year? Utterly inadequate response, actually telling you nothing, instinct. It should be obvious that even if evolution were more than a theory or a mere hypothesis, which is all it is, one would still have to explain the source of the evolutionary process itself. Evolution, like everything else, cannot explain itself. But the problem goes deeper yet. Biochemists D. and J. G. Vogt and Michael Behe have stressed the engineering complexity of the bacterial flagellum. Bacteria and one-celled beasties, however, are supposed to have appeared at the very first stage of alleged biological evolution. There is, therefore, no time available to account for their development. One must appeal to an intelligent designer to explain their existence and structure. Nothing in this world is self-explanatory. God alone, above and beyond our world, is the only rational answer. Human Psychology Neurophysiologist and Nobel Prize winner Sir John Eccles has argued, If my uniqueness of self is tied to the genetic uniqueness that built my brain, then the odds against myself existing in my experience uniqueness are ten to the ten thousandth against. Karl Popper and John Eccles, The Self and Its Brain. Translating from English into English, Eccles is saying here that even the complex physical nature of the human brain falls staggeringly short. 
It cannot provide an explanation for the fact that each human being's personality is unique, unlike any other. Again, the human person cannot explain himself or herself. A transcendent, superhuman explanation, God, is the only way to account rationally for human uniqueness. Why is God's existence so important practically? All that we have said so far may seem abstract and irrelevant to daily life. After all, believers and unbelievers seem to live more or less the same lives, get the same educations, do the same jobs, and both end up dying. If we think of human societies in general, atheistic governments, like the Chinese, appear to run things in roughly the same way as traditionally religious societies, like those of the Americas. But the picture is quite different if we take a deeper look. Societies Without God Unbelievers often present the evils of religion as an argument for their non-belief. Racial prejudice and the persecution of the Jews in the Middle Ages, the inquisitions perpetrated by the Renaissance Church, the wars of religion in 17th century Europe, etc. But in point of fact, the most awful violations of human rights in all recorded history have occurred in the modern secular world and have been the product of atheistic governments, their leaders, and their fellow travelers. Think of Pol Pot in Cambodia, Idi Amin in Uganda, Stalin and Marxism in Soviet Russia, Hitler and the concentration camps of World War II. At the Nuremberg war crimes trials of the Nazi leaders, Justice Robert H. Jackson, chief counsel for the United States, declared, No half-century ever witnessed slaughter on such a scale, such cruelties and inhumanities, such wholesale deportations of peoples into slavery, such annihilations of minorities. The terror of Torquemada pales before the Nazi Inquisition. If history teaches anything, it teaches that, without God and the anticipation of a last judgment, human beings readily fall into a demonic condition. Society thinks only of itself and its advantages as it destroys all others for its own benefit. The individual without God. The non-Christian without God is not only lost in eternity, he or she lives a life on earth without purpose or ultimate significance. The Christian, however, is promised that all things work together for good to them who love God. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, King James Version. No such promise exists for the unbeliever. It follows inevitably that, for a purposive life, nothing is more practical than believing in God. But belief in a God is not enough. The Bible warns, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. James chapter 2, verse 19. The lesson here is that mere belief in God is never sufficient. One must believe in the true God, the God who revealed himself in Jesus Christ. Said Jesus, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John chapter 14, verse 6. His apostles declared, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name than that of Jesus Christ under heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, King James Version. And since Jesus Christ was and is God incarnate, history offers empirical, scientific evidence of God's existence by way of the presence, the miraculous life, and the resurrection from the dead of Jesus Christ. 
Antony Flew, an atheist who became a theist shortly before his death, expanded philosopher John Wisdom's Parable of the Gardener. Once upon a time, two explorers came upon a clearing in the jungle. In the clearing were growing many flowers and many weeds. One explorer says, Some gardener must tend this plot. The other disagrees. There is no gardener. So they pitched their tents and set a watch. No gardener is ever seen. But perhaps he is an invisible gardener. So they set up a barbed wire fence. They electrify it. They patrol with bloodhounds. For they remember how H.G. Wells's The Invisible Man could be both smelt and touched, though he could not be seen. But no shrieks ever suggest that some intruder has received a shock. No movements of the wire ever betray an invisible climber. The bloodhounds never give cry. Yet still the believer is not convinced. But there is a gardener, invisible, intangible, insensible to electric shocks, a gardener who has no scent and makes no sound, a gardener who comes secretly to look after the garden which he loves. At last the skeptic despairs. But what remains of your original assertion? Just how does what you call an invisible, intangible, eternally elusive gardener differ from an imaginary gardener, or even from no gardener at all? This is a devastating, unanswerable argument for all the religions of the world except Christianity. The Christian gospel asserts on the basis of solid eyewitness evidence that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, King James Version. And the same incarnate God put his personal stamp of approval on the entire Old Testament, said he, the scripture cannot be broken, John chapter 10, verse 35, King James Version. It follows, therefore, that the universe has its needed explanation in the transcendent work and word of its creator. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, King James Version.